So he finished his spiel and then she, her neck rotated and then she came back. She said, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I went, yes. She said, oh, there's someone else for you. And then this thing happened and then her body seriously got bigger in the chair and I'm going, and I'm pinching my legs to not freak out, you know, and then all of a sudden this voice boomed out of her and I started crying. I recognized the voice. And it was the voice that spoke to me in 1991. And every hair on my body stood up and I'm going, here we go. And this voice said to me, in two days time, you will be given a choice, but you must decide. And I'm sitting there going, what the hell does that mean? And I actually said, what does that mean? And this voice said, you got to accentuate the positive. I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just fad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? If you feel like that's what you want to do. Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. It's always wonderful to be with you all again. So today on the show, I have the most extraordinary woman to introduce you to. You're going to love this one. Her name is Josie Thompson. Welcome to the show, Josie. Hello, no pressure at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a dear friend of mine, Heather, told me about Josie when uh, Heather started a group called The Vision Keepers bringing people in the conscious community, leaders in the conscious community together to support each other and because uh, we're always out there giving to everyone else and it's nice to sort of have events where we support each other. And and I told her about the Higher Self Expo and said I was looking for speakers and she goes, I've got the perfect person. And she introduced me to Josie and I'm like, I looked at your bio and all your TED Talks and everything. I'm like, oh, my God, she's so cool. <laughs> She's so wonderful. So Josie's one of our speakers at the Higher Self Expo, happening Australian time, uh, Sydney time, uh, on the Sunday the 18th, which is probably Saturday in the US. It'll be a Saturday in the US, I think, Saturday night. I think it'll happen on Saturday night uh, mm-hmm. in the US. And uh, and you're going to be talking about getting in touch with your inner wise advocate. Yes. So... Josie fits the bill completely because the topic of the expo is where science meets spirituality and uh, Josie is a neuroscientist and and a wise woman, a shamanic practitioner as well, right? I'm a bit of everything. You You are. I've done the corporate um, experience and then, uh, you know, I had a a significant health uh, situation that really stopped me in my tracks and was really the beginning of my awakening to a more conscious life. And I guess today we'll talk about all sorts of things. We're going to go there. Let me tell reader, readers, let me tell listeners and watchers a little bit about Josie from your bio. An avid learner, Josie says, Josie completed master's studies in neuroscience and combines 15 years of corporate experience with her almost two decades of coaching uh, to the corporate executive executive entrepreneurs and community leaders. She's a multi-award-winning coach, speaker, trainer, business owner, and author, single mum of two. How old are the how old are your children? 
They are now 21 and 23. I'm thinking you're probably not a sort of single mum anymore. They've they've gone. They've flown the coop, haven't they? Or they has. <laughs> <laughs> One's still at home. <sighs> Josie knows that what, what it's like to face the odds as a two-time cancer survivor and has proven that the odds can be beaten. She speaks from first-hand experience about bouncing forward with a post-traumatic growth disorder and about how to reframe adversity into opportunities for triumph and success. Josie is living proof that winning and succeeding in life is a mindset and she teaches others how to embrace change from the challenges that we live in life in a radically positive way. Love that. She's my kind of gal. Josie is an award-winning uh, author, as we've said, and she's won, look, she's won a slew of awards. She's got them all listed here, but I'm not going to go into it. And your book, have you only got one book, The Wise Advocate, The Inner Voice for Strategic Leadership? I've got two book? books. So I've got a personal development book called Enliven You, which is all about just mini inspirations uh, for day-to-day practice, focusing on topics like overcoming fear, managing change, self-mastery, conquering fear, that, the stuff that I love to talk about. Yeah. And that's called Enliven You. And then the more corporate leadership development type book came out in 2019 and that was a 12-year collaboration with the world's leading neuroscientist in obsessive compulsive disorder Dr Jeffrey Schwartz and also Art Kleiner a global management consultant and the the three of us worked together for a long time to birth that book which I think is a seminal book on consciously awakening corporate leaders to that inner voice that we call the wise advocate oh fabulous and you've also got a podcast show called you can shine podcast yes like you're not doing enough Uh, and uh and you've also got a youtube channel where you do your own teaching you 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 talk about i was just listening to one of your uh, youtubes conquering fear negative thoughts and debilitating emotions i'm thought let me see what she says about that so you've got things going on. You, you can see jo- more about Josie at josiethompson.com. Thompson spelt without the P, T-H-O-M-S-O-N. And, uh, yeah, let's, okay, let's get into, you said you had a near-death experience. So, obviously, what were you doing before you had the spiritually awakening transformative experience? Were you on that corporate treadmill or absolutely I was working full-time in a large multinational organization and I was teaching aerobics part-time I was relatively healthy and you know never drank never smoked and then one day you know my my uh, body gave me some symptoms I couldn't swallow properly and I noticed a little lump in my throat which I beautifully ignored like I do most of the time and I did that until I got to a point where I couldn't swallow properly at all And uh, I figured it might have been just a piece of food that was lodged in my throat. So that's why I ignored it. There was no real pain associated with it. But then, you know, there was a little bit of bleeding. I was coughing up and I thought, oh, I better go get this checked out. And when I did go to the, the GP, he had a feel around and he said, look, I think it's glandular fever. But just in case, let's do an ultrasound. And that was actually 
the thing that alerted us that there was actually um, a tumour in the right lobe of my thyroid. So if he hadn't have done that, we wouldn't have realised it. So we immediately organised uh, surgery because of my demographics. 24, never drank, never smoked. We didn't worry about a biopsy. So we had the first surgery uh, and very swiftly realised that it was stage 3 malignant cancer. And because it had been disturbed, there was high risk of spread. So we had to do a second surgery within 24 hours, which we did. And that's when I flatlined twice. So when you flatlined, you left your body? Yeah, absolutely. Before this time, like 24, very analytically minded. I lived in my head, processed and overthought everything. Yeah. Was had a fairly, I probably had a PhD in keeping people at bay in terms of, you know, knowing who I was and, and getting too close to me emotionally. Uh-huh. So, you know, I was a bit of a control freak. <laughs> and uh, this was the moment of truth when the doctor came in and said, after the first surgery and said, okay, Josie, I don't know how to tell you this, but it is cancer, it is stage three and it is malignant. Mm-hmm. And I just, I had at that point left my body without leaving my body. I think there was a part of me that just went, holy crap, I actually don't know what this means. I do and I don't understand and appreciate the consequence of what this man's saying to me right now. So it was one of these moments that that put me into freeze, right? Mm-hmm. And because I didn't respond, he's like, do you understand what I'm saying? And all I did was nod. And then he said, because of this, we need to do a second surgery. And without thinking, these words came through my mouth. I looked at him and said, if you don't do this by first thing tomorrow morning, I will never let you touch me again. And I just knew if I had too too much time to think about it, I'd probably freak out. And, and procrastinate and, and lose my sense of self. And so he was able to do it first thing in the morning. Um, and then I, because of the amount of blood that we lost, um, I flatlined. And I, I had never heard of NDEs or near-death experiences before that. I was not spiritual. I was raised a Roman Catholic and I was very Catholic and not spiritual at all. That, um, uh, sorry, that's a funny thing to say in the same <laughs> sentence I was Roman Catholic but I wasn't spiritual and I I think it's a really important distinction to make here Mm. because religion is is set with a set of rules depending on what your religion is whereas spirituality if you actually look at the the definition of it the Greek definition of the word spiritus which means that which gives life and vitality to a system so for me it's that thing that gives purpose and meaning to life and spirituality can be sourced from so many different modalities and spaces so for me now yeah I'm very spiritual Mm -hmm. and I take that um, and inform that practice from so many different spaces Mm -hmm. anything from shamanism to Hinduism to you know meditation or um, hugging trees like yeah I just feel it everywhere yeah Uh, but it was definitely a moment of awakening when I physically had an awareness of my physical body in the bed I could see my physical body in the bed beneath me when an aspect of me at the same time was floating around at the ceiling looking down at my physical body lifeless 
I could see the flat line on the screen and I could see the two nurses coming in trying to revive me. But I, th this aspect of me above at the ceiling was completely at peace. There was serenity. There was no reaction. There was no judgment. There was no assessment. There was just witness. Observation. Yeah. Mm. So you and, said you were 24 at this time? You were 24. Wow, so young. Yeah. And at the same time what happened, Karen, and I couldn't believe this, I was there floating, quite happy, floating around, observing all of this, not processing, just observing. And then this really stern male voice came in um, to my left side and said to me, it's not your time yet. And with that, I went straight into my body. And then okay. within a couple of hours, the same thing happened. I flatlined again. I was back up here, floating around, checking it out, had no recall of the first one at the time. And then the voice came in again and said exactly the same thing to me. So you, didn't venture, <laughs> you didn't venture further, like you didn't sort of go, ooh, what's, what's above the ceiling? <laughs> what's no, there was none of that. There was no inquiry. There was this pure witnessing pure awareness. Of, of where I was at. You know what I'm thinking as you tell me this? I'm thinking how connected consciousness is to the heart because it was your heart flatlining which pushed you out of the body, so to speak. And then make a decision, come back in. And then again, when the heart stopped, out you went again. So it's not like consciousness stays in the body when the heart's not beating. Isn't that amazing? Even though the brain could, could still be functioning, when the heart stops, what do you think about that as a neuroscientist? Well, and I don't call myself a neuroscientist. Well, <laughs> I've done masters, I'm not clinical. Uh, but I think there's also a very significant connection with the breath. Mm -hmm. every time I meditate and I, I connect with guides and there's this weird thing that happens for me where it feels like a yawn but it's not quite a yawn yep it's an inhalation and I literally go <gasps> and it's like whoa whoa I, and I know there's a connection there but I haven't quite I can't get there through my logic so I've got to let that go I know exactly what you're talking about it's called the hara breath and funnily enough, when I was uh, learning stuff, people would say, you know, people would speak about it. That's the sort of Indian term for it, hara. Um, and, you know, sort of ask us to do it in meditation. And if you force it, it nothing happens. Like if you try and force it, it doesn't happen. But when I noticed when I was healing people, I used to be a massage therapist, and when I would go into a certain frequency brainwave, certain, you know, like, I don't know, frequency, yeah. my breath would change and it's exactly like that. It's like your top palate lifts. It's like you're yawning and your yeah. breath gets really loud. It's like you're snoring, sort of like that snore that you get as you're falling asleep, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it's just it's very weird. And and there, I think so I do think there's a very, it's an interconnected dynamic between the heart and the breath. So which one comes first? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess if your heart stopped, you've stopped breathing, haven't you? Mm. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> when you come back into your body, we could we could go down that rabbit hole. Uh, obviously, you're a changed person. Like, what the hell just I, happened? 
And I didn't dare talk about that with people in fear of being judged a loony or right. you know, that was the morphine or whatever, but it was right. not. And when I came out of hospital, I went and bought every book I could about cancer, you know, what is it, how does it work, why the hell did I get it? Like everything I had learnt to that point was up for negotiation because the God that I believed in would not have allowed that to happen to me. So everything was up for review and it was no longer accepted, like the, the previous paradigms that I had been taught were no longer deemed true or truth. I was out to find my own truth and I asked some tough questions and but I didn't just ask them, I sought the answers. So this was the beginning of me becoming a seeker in, in life and con more, much more conscious creator in life. And what did you discover like initially that really shifted your paradigm about who you are in this world? Was there any? Yeah. There's a couple of things. Yeah. One of the things that happened was, I'll tell you two stories. Okay. One of the things that happened was that my family was so fearful and believed the experts that I was going to die. And what I didn't realise was I made a decision, was unconscious, and it was there's a very distinct decision that we make when something huge like this happens. We choose how to direct our focus and we either choose to focus on what we don't want, so in this case I didn't want to die, or we choose what we do want, which is I wanted to live. And so you either fight against something or you fight for something. And having studied neuroscience now, I understand what I did. And what I did was I fought for life. I did not fight against death or against the cancer or against my fear. I fought for life. And what that meant was all of a sudden I could align my thoughts, my words, my choices with that intention to live. And it became very, I won't say easy, but clear what decisions I needed to make. And so my parents went without my permission and organised the uh, parish priest to come and give me my final rites. So all of a sudden I had this priest over me sprinkling me with holy water and all my families around me and I'm like, what's going on here? And he said, I'm giving you your final rites. And, he said, and I said, why? And he said, because you're dying. And I looked at him and I was rageful, but I had far too much respect for him and my family to express what I would have loved to have expressed at the time. But see, the cancer, the source of my cancer was in my throat. And this is my biggest life lesson, which is all about finding my own expression and truth and voicing um, that in the world. And as the eldest daughter of a large Italian family, duty and obligation were actually part of that deal and so for me this was my I guess the the fork in the road my circuit breaker that allowed me to really get on path my path so that was the first thing but see what happened only last year during COVID when the world was still 
this cognitive dissonance was in my brain and I wanted to find this priest and I wanted to give him a piece of my mind. And he's 92 not out. And I actually tracked him down in a Jesuit retirement village in Melbourne. And I thought he's not going to remember me. He'll have Alzheimer's. And he remembered me. And I said, look, I just want to ask you something. And he said, what's that? And I said, do you remember that you gave me my final rights? He said, oh, yes, I remember that. He said, your parents got me in to do that. And I said, well, I felt really cross with you about that. And he said, why, my child? And I said, well, because I felt like you were giving up on me. You were giving me up. And he said, no. He said, we were not offering you up to God. We were offering your cancer. And clearly it worked. And I was just like, this was one of those moments that took my breath away and I burst into tears and I thanked him. <laughs> what I thought I was going to do, which was get mad, I actually got glad. I was like, thank you. I cannot tell you how significant an insight that is for me, just to clarify that with me, you, you know. Thank you for remembering me and thank you for clarifying that. It was significant. Wow, gosh. So this happened last year, you found him. That only last year. So I held this dissonance for 29 years. Wow, God, full circle moment, full circle moment. You think you're doing the math? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, um, there was another story, but I've just lost it now for a moment. What was the question? Um Okay, so and oh wow, I'm I'm just sort of digesting, yeah. mentally digesting that story. That that is so beautiful. So when he was offering the last rites, you thought as a 24 year old, he's like sending me to heaven, but wow. what his intention was is to offer your illness to God, yeah. and um, yeah. So he was for 29 years, he was resting easy, thinking he's done his <laughs> job. And for 29 years, you're thinking, how dare they? <laughs> I was so mad, you know. Like, <laughs> And then the second, the second story was when I moved. So I moved. I, I, I left everything familiar and I knew that if I was going to be well, I had to leave the environment that created the illness for me. I didn't have the strength culturally to break every, every rule and be in the same space at the same time. And luckily the business that I was working for, this multinational, offered me a promotion in Brisbane and I took it with both hands and um, I got here and I went and saw the Archbishop and I said okay I've moved from Melbourne this is where I'm at and I'm trying to get some answers here and he said well the first thing you need to do is you need to apply for annulment of your marriage and I'm sitting there thinking what is that why do I need an annulment and he said well then if we annul your marriage then you'll be accepted into the house of God. And I said, excuse me, you're saying that an annulment means that God will accept me into his home. He said, yeah. And I went, and how does this work? He said, you stand in front of a jury of priests who then deem that marriage um, didn't exist in the eyes of God. And I sat there and I was like, but that's a lie. I said, I don't think the God I know would require me to lie to be accepted to come back into his home. I said, he's all forgiving. Um, no, not doing it. So that was the final straw uh, where I was finally on a 
totally new trajectory to find purpose and meaning in life through spirituality rather than religion. Well, that would do it, wouldn't it? I mean, seriously, any logical that's the thing about religion it makes no logical sense like when people ask me about my journey they say how did you awaken and I said oh I don't know I was one of these kids that would look into what I was being taught through catholic schools and you know scripture classes in non-secular you know secular education thinking oh it doesn't make any sense (laughs) what I did love about it was that it connected me with the idea of having a guardian angel you know, and having this higher source. Mm. So there are some aspects of it that to this day I am so grateful for because I believe in those. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, this morning I had my online group and we had our guest teacher and I'd love you to come and speak to my little tribe one day. I'll book you in. Um, Aaron, Aaron, he says Aaron. The Americans say Aaron. Aaron, I would say Aaron, double A. They say Aaron, go figure. Anyway, Aaron Abke came in and he was brought up as a pastor's son and in a quite evangelistic way and then he had a spiritual awakening and now he's on YouTube all over YouTube and he's like doing great guns Gaia TV of getting him to do his own show and he's out there as this spiritual teacher but we were talking about you know religion and what place it has versus spirituality because interestingly enough I have all these Americans in my group that come from these really evangelistic type backgrounds like Mormonism and Oh, there's a whole lot of them that I don't know the names to because I have no religious background really except for going to a convent school for a year. But, yeah, and one of them, Kristen, you know, comes from the Mormon background, says you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater because there's so much that religion does give you. It just limits you in some way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, so where you ha- so you had to leave, you had to sort of move away from the Catholic Italian family to be on this spiritual search to really find some answers because otherwise you've got what mum and dad in your ear saying be a good girl go to church yes and uh, but even more than that just culturally there's a lot of expectation um and a lot of duty and obligation um that i couldn't i couldn't my voice was not strong enough to i i wasn't strong enough to know who I was and who what I wanted and never thought I had permission to even explore that wow. while living in that paradigm. And can, that, I, can I ask you about your throat? So when you had the the um, opera, the two operations, what did they do? They took your thyroid out? Yeah, so they, you can see the scar there. Uh-huh. Um, so they did the first surgery. They took one lobe out. Right thought it was just a growth Mm -hmm. and when they realized that it was malignant cancer they cut again and took the whole thyroid out so you're on uh, thyroxin the whole time now yeah yeah Yeah. and did did it affect your voice like could you say yeah my voice kind of sounds a little bit um, a little raspy but it's kind of cute (laughs) I often get asked oh do you have a cold at the moment and I'm like I cannot project my voice and I've realized I don't have to and that that's another lesson I've learned that I can hold your gaze fiercely and say I'm really upset with what you've just said now and I can say it with absolute calm and authority 
and you get it without me needing to raise my voice, make it personal or use language that's inappropriate or hurtful. Yeah. yeah. So you spoke about, you know, the throat area, the throat chakra and, and that whole, you know, experience. It's like a real karmic thing about expression and communication and how you express yourself in the world. But how we express ourselves in the world is not necessarily about what we're saying, is it? It's like it goes so much deeper than that. Well, it's also what we don't say. Mm. And some people, you know, like Freddie Mercury, he did it with his voice. Right. And if you look at his later work, it's profound. Yeah, and you actually get an insight into some of his spiritual beliefs in his in his last album. Um, yeah. yeah. How do I bridge this? How do I bridge the whole neuroscience and spirituality and you know conscious living and corporate? Well, that entered wise advocate. Okay, so let so me tell you about let, that. Let me just ask you. After, so when you were on your search, you yeah. were seeking, like you did your neuroscience, your masters, hmm. you know, in your quest to understand yes. illness, sickness, the body. Yes. Yeah, so I went and learned a whole lot of different modalities, like you know, EFT and Reiki and homeopathy and kinesiology. And I just wanted to explore a whole lot of different ways of healing and the way the body responds to sound, light and energy. And so I'm into all of that. Uh, And then I saw this thing about neuroscience and I'm like, this is using a cognitive approach. And I went none of this stuff's going to work in corporate. So I need to, to go here and just see what I can bridge. And I think I'm what I'm doing is bridging the worlds and putting it into plain, plain language that is accessible and a, that's transferable, to, you know, dependent on your context. So having learned the science, I can explain the science in a really fundamental way that makes sense to the everyday person, but more importantly, that they can apply in everyday life. And so even what I said to you before about fighting for versus fighting against is one of the fundamental principles of understanding neuroscience and the way the brain works in partnering with us or against us in actually living the kind of life that we really want to live. Perfect. It's so interesting. I'm having the same conversation with you that we were having this morning. Don't you love that synchronicity? Uh, yeah, and, and much of the neuroscience language is really law of attraction language. And yet, if you speak to a neuroscientist about or a mindfulness, you know, about laws of attraction, they go, oh, no, that's woo-woo stuff. And it's exactly the same conversation, just using different vernacular, you know. And, uh, yeah, so the for and the against, I was just sharing a story this morning saying, Someone was asking a question to Erin. I can't remember what the question was. Oh, yeah, they were living in a place they felt like they didn't belong. Mm. And we were talking. I had another beautiful teacher, spiritual teacher on the show called Michael Tamora, who said everyone feels like they don't belong because we don't belong here. We belong, you know, we're souls that belong in heaven, for a better word, belong with source. And so we come to this earth plane Mm. and everyone suffers from that. Do I belong here? Because it's it's not where we belong. It's just what we're experiencing in this moment. Mm. And um, yeah, I was just sharing a story that I wanted to move up to Byron Bay when I was a young healer. And I was up there thinking, yeah, yeah, I'm going to move up there. And I had this epiphany. Am I running from something or running to something? Mm. And if I'm running, because 
both are true. When you run from something, you're running to. But what is more dominant? Is it is the desire more to run away from or is the desire more to run to? And when I looked at it, honestly, it was to run from. And I thought, if I'm running from the city, then I need to go back to the city and make peace with the city, <laughs> you know, like make peace in my heart because uh, it's just resistance, right? It's resistance. It's mm-hmm. like pushing against. And that's exactly what you're, sh- you're saying. Well, a lot of people were primed. The brain is primed to know what we don't want. Mm-hmm. And so if you know what you don't want, you're not focusing on what you do want. Right. And if you then bring in law of attraction, if you're focusing on what you don't want, what are you attracting? More of that. Exactly. So to understand that the brain's default position is to actually know that to keep you safe. You need to know what you don't want because that mitigates risk, but you don't want to live there. At the same time, you want to acknowledge that and refocus your attention on what does that mean in terms of what I do want? And then make that your primary focus of attention. Having regard for what you don't want, but focusing and channeling your attention towards what you do want. Such a powerful message. It's a message, yeah, I I attempt to get across with the shows because we are at this default what I don't want. And, yeah, and as you focus on it so intently, even I've spoken to so many healers who are trying to heal people from a place of, brokenness it's it's really interesting and as you keep even even every even our allopathic system is focusing on the brokenness Hmm. and not the health you know it's focusing on the disease and as we place our focus there and diagnose it and give it a name and and you know label it and identify it we're just creating it more and more and more yeah and it's really important to acknowledge the fact that Knowing what you don't want is perfectly normal, natural human. You know, it's the way the brain is designed to operate primarily. But if you want to be happy, you don't want to be focusing on what you don't want. You want to be focusing on what you do want. So you need to honour and respect the need for your safety because an unsafe brain will not allow you to be happy. So this is kind of those triggers come up to remind you of what your values are and what's important to you. Because if it, if you were in a good space, you wouldn't have that alarm bell going off, right? So it's just a reminder of, hey, just make sure that you look out for these things. And you say, thank you, brain, for reminding me about that. What is it that I do want? So you're honouring the need for your safety, for whatever that might be. I don't want to fail. I don't want to be stuffed up. I don't want to, you know, be rejected. Well, what what do I want then? And just the second you do that reframe and refocus, all of a sudden you switch online the front part of your brain, which allows for you to start driving forward with greater creativity and innovation and openness. Then if you're looking back, you can't go forward. Yeah. You know, years ago, I remember I was at a girlfriend's place and she had left her husband. They had a great marriage, but she'd reached a stage of life where, I don't know, all her subconscious limiting ideas about herself were slapping her in the face, as they do. And so it's so interesting. Instead of inquiring, like I was listening to you this morning saying you had to look at why you were scared. What was the fear? Instead of inquiring about why she was thinking the way she was thinking, she acted on it, which is what most people do. And so acting on it meant, 
I'm going to leave my husband and have an affair with a boy that I went to school with who's always been in love with me because he's in love with me. He makes me feel good. And so this is what she did. And uh, she, we were having a girly dinner and she spent all night complaining about mm-hmm. her marriage and her husband and how awful he was. And I kept asking her that question, Josie, but what do you want? No, no, you're not listening to me. Let me tell you how bad he is. But what do you want? Mm-hmm. No, no, you can't hear me. Let me tell you what's wrong. But what do you, like she couldn't hear the question because she was so focused on the bad, right? So I drummed it into her and I said, okay, you've told me what's wrong. Now tell me what you want. And she had to sit back. That's hard. Huh, and think about it. So she'd made all these actions based on what she didn't want, mm-hmm. but didn't think about what she did want. Yeah. And, and while you're doing that, you can't even see the possibility of right. even having what you want where you are. Right. Let me tell you what happened. As she started to think about what she wanted, she actually went back to her husband and now they're happily married yep. <laughs> years later. Yeah. So it's so interesting. Yeah, so powerful. All right. So where are we in your story? What, what did you just, when you were asking yourself that question, like what is it that I want when you were seeking like what does it take to heal and why did I get cancer and how do you feel cancer the doctors say I'm going to die so I'm not going to listen to them I'm going to look somewhere else what did you come up with like what do you want well I wanted to live and what else and do what live and do what well it was actually to live like to really live like live this moment live this awakeness live this breath fully you know, and it's just even just talking about it makes my heart just spark, you know, with, with life, you know. It's like I can be breathing this moment and not be paying attention at all and I wouldn't be really feeling fully my aliveness in this moment. Mm-hmm. And I think I was kind of not doing that at all before. Like I can walk outside my house and I've been out there thousands of times and I will see something new every time and I will smile and I will be grateful and I will be in awe of what's there because this yeah, I'm alive. I, I'm so grateful. Every day is a gift. The, the thing that happened to me from the moment I got home after that first experience with cancer was I started every morning, the first thing I do is I say thank you. I go to the, the window, I face the sun, and I say thank you. And the last thing I do at the end of the day, go to this, go to the other end of the house and I say thank you. And I don't know why I just do. And it feels great. <laughs> yeah, gratitude feels fantastic. Gratitude is an amplifier. amplifier. Mm. Gratitude is an amplifier. Yeah. So how did you marry the neuroscience with the like shamanism with the sort of Reiki energy healing courses that you were, because you were sort of studying it all. You weren't ruling anything out really, were you? You were just, yeah. Um, if So let me think about how I say this out loud. So one of the things that I did last year was I became a certified mindfulness practitioner. And mindfulness is all about, bringing full focus of attention into current moment experience. 
So it's really, it's a, it's a way of disciplining attention. And it's not, it's not easy. It's actually really hard. When you start to try to meditate, you notice how your mind loves to be anywhere else except right here and right now because there's 50 million other things that you know you need to be doing, right? And so trying to get that discipline of mindfulness and attention training down pat requires you to try different ways of doing it that works for you. For you, not sitting on a mountain necessarily in an uncomfortable position in yoga pants is going to work for everybody. And so this is where I can bridge the worlds. And you know, like with Heather Price that you mentioned before, you know, we've taken groups out on what we call all all walks, AWE walks, where it's mindfulness walking, and we we kind of pause when we we sense a, a, a shift in our experience, you know, and getting people to tune into what they're sensing, what they're feeling, what they're intuiting, and kind of starting to thread a story through this walk. It's, it's phenomenal. Mindfulness can happen with their feet on the ground, you know, like looking at trees and looking up and smiling. Like there's so many ways of integrating some of these seemingly unrelated uh, modalities into the practice of daily life and mindfulness and meditation and living fully in the moment. So you've got to find ways that work for you. It's not a one size fits all. When I'm drumming, I leave the planet. You know, for me, that is a mindfulness practice. It's an active practice. Physically, my body's here, but I've gone. Like, I don't know where I've gone, you know. Same with when there's music and I'm dancing. It's like, you know, whereas other people actually like and can be disciplined in a very still, quiet way. Mm. Other people can't do it because they're too restless and it takes a while to really train that attention. Yeah, absolutely. And I noticed that you've been doing some gong journeys with um, some gong guru up in, because are you in Brisbane? Are you, are you in yeah. Brisbane? So with somebody up in Brisbane, that looked gorgeous. I was looking on your Facebook page this morning thinking, Oh, that looks great. Is that in Sydney? It's like, oh, it's not in Sydney. Well, actually, <laughs> he does travel through the eastern seaboard and, and he does events all over the place. The, oh, actually, I love the gong. The gong sound meditation. Yeah. Running a, a winter solstice event. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. Which will be phenomenal. Absolutely. I'd, I'd come. We've got a gong guru down here in Sydney who I've had on the show. He's just incredible as well. Oh, my God. When he, when he, oh, my God, he's amazing. Anyway, I won't go into that. So how are they receiving this in the corporate world? I'd really love to know, like, how are mainstream, you know, executives and stuff receiving? Well, I've, I've brought Leaf in to do some gong in corporates. When I do my workshops on resilience, I do a section on, on mindfulness I don't, I don't call it meditation, I call it mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And uh, he comes in and does a 10-minute gong sound um, mindfulness practice. And sound transcends mm -hmm. a lot of the noise that goes on in your brain because the brain waves crash with the, the gong sound waves. And so what happens is all this chatter that goes on in your brain gets washed over by these big sounds coming out of the gong. And it usually takes about what I found when we do big events is that 11 minutes of resistance 
<laughs> with your brain going into argument. Oh my God, this is loud. This is uncomfortable. This is new. And it goes into all this story. And then eventually it just goes shh, quiet. And the sound starts to get absorbed by the brain and the body. And your whole body surrenders to this bath of sound. And it's phenomenal. And so, yes, I've brought it into corporates and as an, you know, as an optional way of introducing mindfulness and they love it. You get these, you know, suits lying down on the ground <laughs> and completely absorbing sound. It's phenomenal. How do you think it's transforming corporate? Have you seen changes happening in the corporate world? Have you seen changes in the way business is structuring and like i think i think the covid has been and continues to be a, a reset in mm -hmm. many we've heard that word a lot and mm -hmm. um, i think corporates are now realizing the importance of social connection mm -hmm. and also mental health as a consequence of the significant disruptions that COVID brought to workplaces. Right. And so now corporates are going, this is out of our realm of expertise. Right. What's working out there? Mm. But now there's this um, introduction of wellness uh, coordinators in a lot of workplaces now. Wow. So there's actually people appointed within the corporate structure that looks after wellness and well-being. And that yeah. was not a thing prior to COVID. Oh, God, isn't that amazing? I mean, as much as it's been traumatic, the blessings coming out of this, you, you know, we're starting to see it oh, on so many levels of life. And that's just another one where, yeah, wow, that is so cool. <laughs> I love hearing that. Uh, so obviously, you know, when it first hit, business shut down because people couldn't gather, but that's shifting. Are you still going in and talking to groups? Like are you back together, like gathering people and all that sort of thing? You must be because you're doing a... There are events again now, person yeah. events, not as many as there were before. Uh, but this year, like I did uh, uh, an online event for AstraZeneca actually there was like 1300 people online and then I did one for the department of premieres here in Brisbane and there was 250 people in the room and I think about over a thousand online again you know um, so they're starting to uh, happen but I feel like the trend is to keep it online because right. it allows people to extend the invitation globally rather than locally so wow. mm -hmm. you know, locations no longer a barrier for access mm. to these events and, and different things now and what you're teaching you can do perfectly well online like you don't have to be in person with people no, yeah. so there's been a lot of adaptation yeah a lot of my coaching before covid was in person and then it was very easy to transition onto Zoom. And now there's the option of doing either in person or Zoom. And people are actually choosing Zoom, right. which is surprising uh, because I've got the, the relationships already established. But a lot of people are still working from home. So they've got that flexibility. There's much greater flexibility with their working arrangements and how they go about performing their 
their, their duties for work. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's so cool to hear how, because we talk about the shift, the shift, the shift, and I talk about it endlessly on the show, that what we're going through is a wake-up call for many people. So to speak to you and to hear how that's happening is just so beautiful. It just so confirms all that I know to be true. And yeah, it's so beautiful because, you know, in 20, you know, 2012 hit, it was the same thing. People were saying the world's going to end. And some people were saying, no, it's a shift into a new form of consciousness. It's a wake up call. It's an awakening for humanity. We, we talked about this in the spiritual consciousness community and yet you don't see it when it's happening. But then when you look back and like, when I speak to people on the shows, they say, Oh, I had this wake up call in 2012. Oh, I, you know, something happened. I left my job and went on a, like you hear the stories. And so you can see through people's experiences just how that was occurring yeah and so well absolutely we're in the middle of my neuroscience studies um in 2010 i had my own uh brain tumor oh that's uh, what well that was the next question what was the next cancer scare so that was 2010 brain tumor oh yeah the throat wasn't enough when the brain yeah studying everyone else's brain and all of a sudden it was mine right and again this one was interesting because all I had, there was no major symptoms. Like I had a little bit of tingling on the right side of my face and I had a couple of mild headaches. I never used to have headaches. And I thought, mm, I probably should get this checked out. So I did. And on Christmas Eve uh, 2009, I found out that I had uh, brain tumor. So I had to have surgery on it was ended, ended up being Australia Day. No, it was actually two days after Australia Day 2010. And so someone had said to me, Josie, you need to go and see this woman in Sydney. She's a psychic, spiritual healer, because uh, they knew I was a bit out there. And, uh, you know, but you, she's got a four-year wait, so you may not get in. And I went, well, I've got a month, so I'll give her a call. So I gave her a call on Boxing Day. And I said, hey, you've been highly recommended to me. Do you happen to have any uh, appointments available in the next month? And she laughed. She said, I doubt it. She looked in her book. She went, oh, I've just had a cancellation for Australia Day. You want to come down for that? You know, the session's five hours. And I said, yep, absolutely. So I flew down to Sydney, met this woman. And I hope your listeners are ready for this one because it absolutely blew me away. Like I've been to psychics before and I've always been a bit of a skeptic, you know, and I think this woman could sense that. I was there open-minded, had nothing to lose. I was about to have a massive surgery two days later and I didn't feel like I had much to lose at all. Um, but spiritually, I knew I was quite weak. Uh, physically, I also thought I was quite weak and I'd started giving everything away. I got my will done. I got dogs for the, the kids, puppies, because I'd anticipated I wasn't going to survive. And I went in with an open mind and this woman warned me. She said, look, when I channel, whoever decides to come through actually takes over my body, but understand that I am in the room. And if you want to stop at any point, you can just say stop, but don't be fearful, you know, just relax and you can ask questions. And I'm like, oh yeah, whatever, you know. So she did this thing with her neck and uh, all of a sudden this, Asian voice came out of her mouth and I'm going what the hell you know like I, it was full on and I'm trying to work out what this male voice is saying to me and uh, 
he was saying in two days time you know you're going to be offered all these different options and she knew nothing about me my story my situation and he said you must have investigate hyperbaric oxygen and blah 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 blah. and I wasn't allowed to take notes so whatever I remembered it was all I needed to take away and so he finished his spiel and then she her neck rotated and then she came back she said are you okay is everything all right and I went yes she said oh there's someone else for you and then this thing happened and then her body seriously got bigger in the chair and I'm going and I'm pinching my legs to not freak out you know and then all of a sudden this voice boomed out of her and I started crying I recognized the voice and it was the voice that spoke to me in 2000 in 1991 and every hair on my body stood up and I'm going, here we go. And this voice said to me, in two days time, you will be given a choice, but you must decide. And I'm sitting there going, what the hell does that mean? And I actually said, what does that mean? And this voice said, you must decide whether you return home you belong to my choir and you're welcome or whether you stay and your work commences in earnest and I'm sitting there going okay you know and then I, th I asked I said who are you and then the voice said Archangel Gabriel and then it all made sense it all made sense and I cried and I went, yep, the messenger. And then the woman came back into her body and she said, are you all right? And I said, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I'm confused because I don't know what choice I'm going to make. I don't know what decision I'm going to make just yet, but thank you. And she said to me, Gabriel's never come through before. She's oh. always had Michael come through, but never Gabriel. So that was pr pretty special for her. Messenger. That, oh, I just wanted to ball as soon as she said right. that. I know. Wow. Better. There's another one. Yeah. Okay. There's one more. And I'm like, okay. So then she, and I've never told anyone this this part before. Mm. And then her, her body came small and this little voice came out and the little voice literally said, do you know how you like kids? And I'm looking at going yeah she goes no 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 you love kids and I went yeah I do she goes do you know why and I said no and it was really playful and I was loving it she's like that's because when you're up here you're in charge of us and you always play with us and make us laugh and I'm sitting there going this makes so much sense you know and she said, oh, wait I got something for you and then she this body gets up and trashes this the office and he's opening drawers and upending everything and she finds this and I've still got it in my bedroom she finds this shell and you know how some of those stacked shells they're a bit thick and they've been chipped and they're a bit powdery on the edge yeah, yeah. and she, she's she's holding this shell and she's all excited and she's going see this she said this part this is your bones they're very sick now she did not know I also was diagnosed with bone cancer in three spots. And she said, we're going to fix this. And she said, you keep this. And <laughs> I'm like, 
my God, what's this woman going to say when she comes back? She's going to think I did this, you know. And it was just, <laughs> it was just, you know, and, and long story short, I took this shell with me to surgery. I asked for the anaesthetist and and. Anesthetist. Yeah, the uh, the anesthetist. Anesthetist. Yeah. <laughs> strap it to my right hand, and the doctor looked at it. He looked at. It. They needed to make sure there was no metals. I said, "Yep, that's fine." Because Gabriel came back in briefly and said, "Hold this in your hand, and put your right hand out because we will hold your hand through the surgery." And so that's what I did. So they strapped it. I put my right hand out, and I had no recollection of what happened. But then, when I was in intensive care waking up like before the surgery I had no idea which way it was going to go because I knew it wasn't going to be a, a choice I decide a decision I make on this side it would happen during the reset when I'm out I'm just going to grab a tissue I'm a, I'm a mess oh, I'm keep, sorry. keep talking keep talking no don't apologize I'm your... and, uh, <laughs> and when I woke up I went oh oh, I'm awake, oh, my work starts now. And I looked down at my hand and that's the shell's still there. And uh, about an hour later, the, the surgeon came out and he said, are you okay, are you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. And he said, I need to ask you something. And I said, and actually, no, he, when this was a later appointment, he said, I need to ask you something. I said, what? He said, when we put you under anaesthetic, you said something and I don't know, don't know what it meant. And I said, what did I say? I had no recollection. And he said, you said, I've decided. <gasps> and I was like, <laughs> all the hair just went. <laughs> and I, I was like, counting backwards from 10. I got to eight. I lost it. But apparently I said, I've decided. The, well, the words came out of my mouth. And I never heard them. So <laughs> oh, my God. Don't, oh my god i just oh that is just such a so powerful just such a beautiful oh and you've never told that to anyone also. i've never told that to anybody i'm so pleased that you told us on our show i hope everybody appreciates it as much as me and i think people that are ready to hear this now like absolutely I, time, I would probably be worried about people hearing it and being judged or whatever. Whereas now I, I actually don't care. Good. You know, yeah. I want to say to you, having, <laughs> having been on a conscious search for Australian speakers, although the subject matter is where science meets spirituality, so I was kind of looking for, you know, I'll come, people back, I'll come back to that bit. <laughs> that straddle those two worlds. What I find with Australian uh, speakers, spiritual teachers, is they do very much pander towards the mainstream mind and there's like I could find a slew of diff, um, you know mindfulness teachers and meditation teachers like masses of them but not too many that are going to tell me stories like you just told me you know and uh, so I'm so, I feel so blessed that you shared that story with us on the show I just want to keep crying <laughs> the angels make me cry I've had so many people on the show that speak about the angels and the, channeling the archangels and they said to me a few years ago, they said, consciously seek people that speak about angels. And I said, really, why? And they said, we want our message spoken through your show. And I said, okay, I'll do that. There's heaps of people that speak about angels, right? Well, no, there wasn't actually. Well, I have, I'll give you some names after our interview. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk about it openly. But um, where science meets spirituality 
is that that inner voice that we tune into from time to time, that all-knowing, all-loving voice, that's called the wise advocate. In religion, in my my uh, you know Catholic upbringing, we called it the Holy Spirit. Mm. But uh, the title of this book, very deeply grounded in neuroscience, is the wise advocate, and we've called it the inner voice of strategic leadership. Mm. The reason we did that was because the market is for corporates. Mm -hmm. However, we are all leaders of our life. So we are leaders in many contexts of life, not just at work. Mm. If you think about it, that inner voice of strategic leadership is how do you live your life in a more informed and I'm not going to say right way. It's it's the it's when you tune in for that inner voice. It's, it always tells you the right thing to do, but it's not always the easiest thing to do. Mm. But it's always the right thing to do. And so in this book, we go into a lot of the science about how to connect into that inner voice. And how do you distinguish between a thought, a random self-defeating thought versus that inner voice mm -hmm. that, that knows what's right, that knows what's best, that has your back, that loves and cares for you. Mm -hmm. you know, and we talk, the first couple of chapters is all the science. Yeah. That is the application. That's so interesting. It's a question I get a lot uh, with my clients and in my online groups because I've cultivated that connection actually I always had the connection didn't know it was I had that connection but I was always talking to what I used to deem my common sense and like a spoiled rebellious teenager I used to tell it to f off most of the time <laughs> don't tell me what to do well not that it ever told me what this used to give me wise advice and and like the rebellious teenager doesn't want to take it <laughs> until I was doing energy healing psychic awareness you know workshops in my 30s and realized that what I was trying to connect to I'd always been connected to and but how you distinguish the ego mind that desires and the soul that desires because they're both desires right so you could say that even you being given this choice was a desire of the soul to say choose you're going to stay you're going to go like decide. I decide. it was said choice but you must decide. decide and it took me a while to figure out Oh, what's the difference between a choice and a decision? Oh, interesting. You, know, you often don't think about that, but it's when you start thinking about it, you realize choice, you've got many choices. Mm -hmm. You don't commit. Mm -hmm. When you decide that you've actually committed, you've drawn the line in the sand and you've gone, yes. Yes. So, okay, here's a question. So when you were 24, Four, uh, as you were, as you were, this is what people, because I put a lot of NDEs on the show and people yep. love their NDE stories. You know, there are some people that say it was always me that was choosing. I was never told I have to come back to earth. It was always my choice, right? I had to make that decision. And then others say, I was told to go back. So you've got both those stories going on. You were told at 24, it's not your time. And then at how old were you? Well, later, you were told, you need to make a decision. So you can't. You had both things going on. But I wasn't consciously aware of the decision I'd made because when I went into anaesthetics, I hadn't made the decision consciously. But apparently the words came out 
after I'd lost consciousness. So that's that's the part. There was no recollection. So it sounds, it feels, or I sense that it was my soul that made the decision. Right. Once you go into anaesthetic and your heart stops beating, that's where we have our, our resets, right? And okay. And come in in there, right? Yeah. So what I was thinking when you said that part of the story, I got this booming voice that said, it's not your time. Immediately I'm like, oh, that was your soul. Um, communicating to the little self about the decision it's made. So the soul had made the decision. I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to take this exit point. I'm going to keep going. So like the soul has made that decision. And then the the little self or the ego self or the linear mind perspective has to catch up to that decision that the soul's making in a way. The first, the first time that was definitely Gabriel. <laughs> well, Gabriel, the messenger, communicating your Definitely, soul. because that, it was male. It was male. It was stern. It was me. It sounded mean. And like, it would mean. Sound mean. But it's not his decision to make, right? It's not Gabriel's decision to make. So he was communicating to you. He was you. instructing me. Definitely. Your soul's perspective. So, definitely. yeah. And definitely. maybe bringing the bringing the information in a male stern commanding voice yeah makes the little mind the little linear mind sort of go oh i have to listen okay. to this <laughs> okay all right i wasn't gonna argue with it I'm not a, <laughs> i don't know look if i was out of my body looking down at my body on a on a i would probably go oh that's good where else can i go <laughs> and it's funny because i reached out to the spiritual um healer uh, I think it was it was during COVID, and I just felt this. I don't know. I, I didn't have a, a a specific thing I wanted. I just felt like I needed to connect with her again, and I said to her, "I just need a top up." And she's like, "Okay, we did this on the phone this time," and I had Michael come through, mm-hmm. and I hadn't I hadn't heard Michael before and I said Michael I'm confused and he said what what are you confused about and I said well Gabriel told me I'm part of his choir and now you're giving me instruction like you know like is there like choirs different choirs that I and he said he explained to me that you you come under the guidance of whoever you need at the time but he's kind of like the overarching you know these these guys were literally banting they were having banter the whole time like one second it was Michael next second it was Gabriel and they were like picking on each other and laughing and carrying on Mm -hmm. it was and it was like I didn't know what was whether it was like they could carry on like that yeah it was just it was entertaining was entertaining. have fun as well you yeah. know what i've discovered having showcased many new world teachers consciousness teachers whatever you want to call them light workers light weavers star seeds whatever uh the people that work with people are under the tutelage of the archangels hmm. so i had this i had this beautiful friend i'm going to introduce you to her you girls are going to so get on who was running workshops um in sydney she actually just moved out of Sydney recently up to Bellingen. So she's not too far from you. Uh, and um, 
she came for a session one day. She had me on her show. She was had a radio show and she had this beautiful community here in Sydney called Rainbow Tribe. Uh, well, she still has it, but, uh, and she came for a session and I took her in to meet her guides, her spirit guides. And she was not really in touch with angels or the stuff that I talk about. She's more into mindfulness and meditation and that sort of way. Like I say, a lot of Australian teachers are. And the archangels were like right there, 12 of them, bang, right there. And she's like got the whole gang there. She's like, oh, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I'm like, of course they work with you because you work with people. You know, they help people that help people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so it's the choir. I love that, the choir. I had another friend on the show who paints them the beginning of the year, the end of last year and the beginning of this year in the inner sanctum. And she said that, um, that she paints 72, the choir of 72 that she's painting. So, and that includes the archangels. Yeah. So they call themselves the choir. I love that. Mm. Yeah. So did you get more answers? Like, did you get more ahas from this latest session with the healer, with the angels? What are, what are the ahas dropped in? I guess I've been questioning what I want to do and I'm moving more towards this space of um, encouraging people to get in deeper contact with themselves right, and who they really are and using mindfulness as a vehicle to having them enter that space and when they're in that space I find that they're they're open to exploring um, the whole sense of consciousness right of just calm and I have a way of you know really grounding people and calming people down in heightened states of anxiety stress trauma whatever it is and I realize I'm moving much more into that healing space. Mm. So I wanted to know whether, you know, I'm on track and and it was absolutely you're on track. Mm. And, you know, I need to just trust that intuition, whatever you want to call it, a whole lot more and get out of here. Oh, I so resonate with what you're saying for you. So I'm somebody who doesn't pander to the mainstream world I just decided I need to be who I want to be and not try and because I went on radio and and I called my show accentuate the positive because I kind of tried to make it digestible to the mainstream idea and and then after five years on radio I just thought no bugger it I don't want to do that anymore I just want to speak about what I want to speak about and uh, but I see the need for everyone to come into an understanding of more of who they are their multi-dimensional selves and their own psychic ability and there really needs to be this bridge. But I also see that my conversation that's deemed as way out there and woo-woo will no longer be that in times to come. So there are people bridging me and them, you know, like not just mindfulness in the corporate world, but, you know, channeling in the corporate world and, you know, sound light therapy in the corporate world. You know, there is this, the bridge is just getting bigger and you are that bridge, well, I'm one of them. I'm one of them for well, sure. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I'm not afraid to have the conversations. Like I just, you know, I, I'll get a new CEO client for coaching and the first session is all here and right. talk about work and what he wants to achieve. And by session three and four, we're talking spirituality. Right. And I'm not leading them there. They're, they're just opening and they're, you know, they're, we have this incredible trust that's built and they're able to have these conversations that they have been craving but never known where they could go to safely explore yes. conversations where they won't be judged. Right. There's a lot of healing that goes on in that space because there's narratives that they've acquired in their brain that don't even belong to them that need to be gently released. <laughs> right. So that they can really own themselves and own their truths. Yeah. Absolutely. I was talking about this this morning with the tribe and how I don't apologize for who I am. And everywhere I go, I tell people much to my daughter's intense embarrassment, like mum talks about aliens, stop talking about aliens. So she had something and she was, you know, she was bitten by a shark at, about a year ago. And uh, she had this young man from Brisbane who had left. Um, he was a uh, reporter for Channel 7 Brisbane, he'd left his corporate job to start presenting more positive, uplifting stories in the world. And so his mum comes along for the ride and I'm sort of talking aliens and, you know, and, and she's kind of like going, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed by you, mum. But these two young men that came down from Brisbane were like, yeah, you know, my uncle bought a farm and we went on the farm and did ayahuasca ceremonies and we like realised that everything is love and that we're ex these expanded beings. And, and so my conversation, when I had it, just allowed them to speak about their experiences and the, the young uh, a journalist said when I had this experience of understanding everything is love I, I came back to my corp my job in the media and realized I'm part of the problem not part of the solution so I quit you know he just gave up all that money because they pay you well mm -hmm. when you work for a major television station to start a business sharing stories where he's not getting paid at the moment and trying to carve out some sort of career in presenting more uplifting positive stories yeah it's a wonderful world we live well, my, in my son's funny because you know he sees me meditating every day and i burn incense and candles i got crystals and all that sort of stuff and my corporates come here and they see all that and they kind of look at it and they always say to me when i walk in your home i feel so relaxed right they wouldn't dare have this stuff in their house but that's <laughs> Um, and, you know, I'll always introduce my children to whatever I'm doing. I let them know about it. And I always say, would you like to try this? You know, I'm going to meditation. Do you want to come? And my son is beautiful. He's beautiful. He just now says, mum, you be you and I'll be me. <laughs> I'm like, I love you so much, Harrison. Thank you. He, oh, just, oh. he, he just says, you know, I let mum be mum. She's, she's mum. And, you know, like and if I do stuff that might embarrass him sometimes, like meeting at the airport with pom-poms, you know, he's like, resistance is useless. <laughs> As I say on Star Trek, your resistance is futile. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, we've got to have more crazy mums in the world. They're changing the world. <laughs> you know, I, I wonder what these kids, how old is he, your son? He's 21. 21 he's got a way to go like I wonder 
having us mum like you know what they're going to do with their world they're going to change the world in their own way you know they're just they've been indoctrinated with their studies um yeah when we start talking about you know uh in you know food that's been interfered with and and like i'm vegetarian i I cook them only organic food and all the rest of it and you know they, they believe gmos are good and all this sort of stuff and we'll have debate active debate but it's respectful and i've said you know what at this point in time in your lives, you know, you're readily accepting what supposed experts are saying. But at some point in time in life, something will happen and you will start asking questions that you haven't asked before. Exactly. And the answers that you get won't satisfy you. Yeah. And that's when your quest will begin. Right. I said, and that's when maybe some of this stuff that I've been talking about might start to make some kind of sense drop yeah until then just keep your mind open discount what i what i say if you need to discount but at some point in time you might soften around those ideas but wait and see i know it's so cool that's so true they have to fight you can't teach your children they've got to discover it for themselves i think every parent has that wanting to contribute to their children in a way so they want to teach them and then you hit that those rebellious years where you go i don't want to believe what my parents believe i've got to find out for myself well not everyone is like that but a lot of the, a lot of us are and it's not until trauma hits that it really starts the penny starts to drop right it's beautiful when you often hear well i hear my my children talking to their friends uh-huh. and they'll say something like i know that i've modeled you know like yeah but if that's what you don't want what, what do you what do you want <laughs> and it just cracks me up i'm just sitting there in the background going yes <laughs> you know it's great and you know and then sometimes you know like harrison will come home and he'll be stressing because he's got an exam and i'm like what's stressing you out and he's like, my exam. And I said, well, what are you thinking about? He said, well, I don't want to fail. And I went, yes, and what do you want? And he's like, I know, I know. So they can self-direct and it's wonderful. Oh, no. You know, just having that influence, we think we're not getting through. But if we're persistent without pushing it onto them, it's getting in there. It is getting in there. It absolutely is. It absolutely, it absolutely is. Oh, Diane, I've just looked at the time. There's so much, there's so many more rabbit holes we could go down today. It's so amazing that you're such a celebrated, you know, speaker and author and, and that your kids is like, no, nah, not, not taking it, mum. I love that. <laughs> Keeps you real, doesn't it? Keeps you real. <laughs> oh, beautiful one. It's been such a blessing and a joy to meet you today and to find out more of your story. And thank you so much for sharing so deeply with me today. I feel very honoured and very teary. I don't know. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for being on the show. You're very welcome, Karen. Thanks for the invite. Oh, another incredible show with Josie. Wasn't she just beautiful? You know, she shared another story with me after I turned off the recording, as people tend to do, uh, that she said, oh, I forgot to tell you about this story. Let me tell you this story. So I said to her, that is such a profound story. Let's, Let's share that on another show. We'll share it on another show. Because, you know, she went to places today that she doesn't normally go in public on podcast shows. I love that people do that on my show. I often find that, that people are hiding their inner woo-woo because they're working like Josie. 
you know, with corporates or, um, yeah, so, and me, you know, well, I go, I go everywhere. I go down the rabbit hole. And for some reason, people feel like it's okay to share these things with me. I love that. I love that. So she shared, you know, she shared some beautiful things with us today about the archangels and, uh, yeah, and she shared another amazing story with me. So um, to be continued, to be continued. Uh, as we spoke about, she's one of our speakers at the High Self Expo, so she's going to do a beautiful presentation about neuroscience and mindfulness and all that great stuff and healing and I don't even know what she's going to talk about. I did, forgot to ask her, but I'm going to do a live with her tomorrow. Well, this is going to come out after the live and introduce her to the High Self Expo audience. And um, yes, it was a beautiful conversation. As you can see, uh, it's nighttime here now, so I've lost my light. So I'm just relying on this one light that's beaming into me. So I'm going to go. It's, uh, gosh, it's getting so dark. So it's winter here in Australia. So it's only quarter to six and the sun went down about an hour ago. Winter time, winter time, winter time. I know it's your summertime over there in Europe and in the US. But here we're having a nice cold winter this winter, which is why I'm semi all rugged up. But that was so beautiful to meet Josie. I knew it would be beautiful. A friend introduced us and, yeah, she's just wonderful. Up there in sunny Brisbane, sunny Queensland. I'm not going to chat too much more. Thank you all for listening and tuning in and Please remember to subscribe and share the shows with your friends and all that good stuff. Join our newsletter. Join the Inner Sanctum tribe. Oh, we had Erin because it's a Monday here today. Josie had to reschedule because a friend of hers had died and the time that I had her scheduled for the show was the funeral. So we had to reschedule. So that's why I'm doing her in, an, in the evening or in the afternoon on a Monday. Uh, but I have, we had our group this morning with Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. Aaron Ebke, Abke, oh gosh, I can't do the American accent. I would say Aaron Abke. And it was just wonderful. He was so great. And there was such great, you know, questions from the tribe. There was some really good, I'm like, wow, they are great questions. And he was just wonderful. So when I get time, I'll edit the highlights and put those up for you to see some of the highlights. He's such a wonderful teacher, really such a wonderful teacher. Not that Josie's not as well. Josie is a wonderful teacher as well. Uh, he was talking about when I had him on the show last, he was saying that um, Gaia had asked him to present to do a show. And so now he's in the midst of, of filming the shows. And he was saying that he can't do the YouTube and the Gaia show. It's just too much. So he's going to pull back a bit from YouTube. So if you are an Aaron Abke fan and you're looking for those constant YouTubes that he uploads, they're going to slow down while he's producing for Gaia TV. And, uh, yeah, so that's exciting for him to do those. And, uh, yes, meteoric rise to success within this consciousness arena he has. Some wonderful, wonderful young man. Who's coming up uh, for the Inner Sanctum? I think Sue Walker's coming on next month. Let me have a look. Yeah, Sue. June, July. Yeah. You know, who channels the Ponte for you galactic goddesses and gods out there, you might know Sue's work. She has a, a very active Twitter handle, Twitter, Twitter account where she channels messages from the Ponte, which are a group of uh, extra dimensionals or ETs or aliens, whatever name you want to give them, that are from the Zeta Reticuli sort of constellation who have had a base on Earth for thousands of years, that well before humanity was here. 
and they have been observing earth and the fauna and flora and observing us and anyway so she's in communication with them they have a base under the sandia mountain in new mexico and uh, and uh, she draws them and speaks for them as their mouthpiece and uh, she's just fascinating so she's coming back into the inner sanctum to chat to our little gang our little tribe and Preston Dennett, yeah, I'm getting really galactic towards the end of the year. Preston Dennett's also going to come and talk to us this year. Do you know Preston? He has a fabulous YouTube uh, talking about, he's a researcher, but he's had his own amazing experiences with ETs and astral travel and sightings and communication from extra dimensionals. Uh, but he's a researcher and he's put out, I don't know how many books, 30, 40 books through the research he's done. And he does all this in his spare time because he has like some, he's like an analyst or something. He has some mainstream sort of accounting analytic type job that he does, you know, nine to five. And in his spare time, he does all this stuff. People are amazing, aren't they? I love Preston. He's so beautiful. He's so humble and he's so well, you know, versed in all this stuff. He's just, he's just wonderful. Love Preston. So he's going to come in and chat to us too the month after. So yeah, there's lots of good people coming up. And as I said, after the High Self Expo, I'm gonna get really galactic. I've got some really fascinating people booked in for the booked in for the show that are kind of talking galactic. Anyway, love you all. Remember to buy the book Awakened by Death. Thank you very much if you've already bought it and you hear me say this all the time. And I'll see you next time. Big love. Bye for now.